All right, let's pray before we go to the message this morning. Father, we come to you this morning, and we are grateful to be here. We are grateful for the health that you give to us to be here, and we're also grateful just to join the family, the the body of Christ, um, together to learn from your word and to give you praise. I pray that you would teach us this morning. I pray that the words that I share would be only in agreement with your word to us, and I pray that it would be given by your Spirit's power. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we're going to start a new mini-series. We'll be here the next couple weeks. I want you to think with me about making Christ known. And um, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture for the next three weeks, the same passage of Scripture for the next three weeks. And um, I want you to to be, allow your mind to be challenged with my mind as I'm challenging my mind here too. Who am I? Are you ready? This? Who am I? I want you to think about who this person is. Who am I? I was a writer. I was born about the same time as Jesus Christ. I was a Greek-speaking Jew. I was one who had hatred for Christians. I was a religious extremist. I was very well known. And I was either loved or hated by people. The name I was known by earlier in life is not the name that I was known by later in life. I was a member of the Pharisees. And for that reason, was well-versed in Jewish history, the Psalms, and the writings of the prophets. You know who I'm talking about right now? Probably have a good idea. The Christians who I had hatred for and even persecuted, I became. Traveling on a road to persecute Christians, I had an encounter with the risen Jesus, which drastically changed everything about me. My birthplace? Tarsus. Once a follower of Jesus, I gave my life to making Christ known all over the ancient world, planting a number of Christian churches. I endured many hardships, including beatings and imprisonment, all for the sake of knowing Christ and wanting to make him known. Who am I? It's Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. We're going to look this morning at the Apostle Paul. He is the main character, really, the main person in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at. The location that we're looking at this morning is, um, by the way, I put this in here. Um, I haven't seen this movie yet, but it just, it just came out in theaters, I believe, on March 28th. Uh, has anyone by chance seen this movie yet? I'm not Pun, was it good? I'm not sure if I should ask you right now. <laughs> I've heard really good about this movie. Um, I, I heard excellent reviews. I heard it was really well done. And sometimes Christian movies are known for not being the greatest um, theatrical works, you know. But, but this is done really well. And I, I read in a review that it kind of set a new bar for where Christian movies should be. And it's, it's done really well. And it's, it's, from what I understand, really accurate 
Um, so I'd like to go see it. Uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ. The place that, the location that we're looking at this morning, Athens, Greece. Athens, Greece. I want to just hear from you really quick, if you don't mind. What, what comes to your mind when you hear the words Athens, Greece? What do you think of? What's that, Mike? Uh, uh, yes, good. Proclus, yes. Okay, good. Parthenon. Sharon, you said something. Same. Anything else that, you, that comes to your mind? Olympics, good. Greek gods. Philosophy, good. Anything else that comes to your mind? Mars Hill, good. Good. Has anyone by chance been to Athens, Greece? Anyone been? A number of you. A number of you have been to Athens, Greece. Good. I have not been to Athens, Greece. I would enjoy going sometime. Maybe I will eventually down the road someday go. Um, Well, this is a map here. Um, This is a map of the world just just for us to know where we're looking at. Uh, That little red dot there is Athens, Greece. And if we zoom in on it, in the middle there, we've got Greece and Italy, of course, the boot there. We've got Turkey off to the east there. All right. Um, Parthenon was mentioned. This is one of the most well-known uh, landmarks around the world. This, this was a temple that belonged to a goddess. And she was the goddess of wisdom and art. And this building, this is still standing there. It was built before the time of Christ. I don't remember the exact date, but I think a few hundred years before Christ. So when Paul went, he would have been confronted with this Parthenon. He would have seen this, which I, I just it's amazing to me just to think this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, saw. Maybe we think of this, we might think of some of the large coliseums or these amphitheaters. Um, this, this is also Athens, Greece here. And um, these are maybe images that come to our mind. Also thinking about, I heard, I think it was Richard who said Mars Hill. This is Mars Hill, the Areopagus. Um, this if I ever go, this is as I'm flying in to Athens, Greece, I want to look for this because this is obvious. You can see this. This is Mars Hill, the place that we're going to look at the coming weeks here. The, much of the discussion took place right here on Mars Hill. All right. Also, um, Athens, Greece, home of Socrates, home of Plato and Aristotle. Names that we are maybe familiar with from school. Maybe we don't know a whole lot about them, but they're still at least nonetheless names that we know from school. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. So, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Acts. Acts, chapter 17. We've got the Apostle Paul. We've got Athens, Greece. And now we're going to look at Acts chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And you are welcome to follow along there if you would like. 
Acts chapter 17. And we're going to look this morning at just a few of these verses here. Um, We're not going to get too far today, but we will eventually work through 16 through the end of this chapter. So, Acts 17, beginning with verse 16, notice with me the very first four words. While Paul was waiting. Stop. While Paul was waiting. You like to wait? Do you like to wait as much as I like to wait? Which isn't very much. I don't like to wait. (laughs) No one likes to wait, do we? Are you very good at waiting? I'm not all that good at waiting. Get a little bit anxious. While Paul was waiting, he had to wait too. He was he was in waiting. What what's going on here? I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn there, but in your Bibles you can see the beginning of chapter 17. Paul travels to Thessalonica. He was a traveling missionary. He went to he went to Thessalonica. He wanted to make Christ known. That's what Paul was all about. He really wanted to make Christ known. Goes to Thessalonica. He really kind of agitated, irritated the Jewish people to the point where they they kind of excited enough people, they caused a mob. And the brothers said, Paul, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. They sent him on. Paul I think he just figured if that's how it is, and that's the Lord's way of telling me to go on somewhere else. Paul traveled to Berea, and he proclaimed Christ there. While he's in Berea, the Jews who had so much disdain for Paul in Thessalonica, if it wasn't enough for them to kick him out of their city, they're like, let's go cause more trouble. We hear that he's in Berea. Let's go kick them out of there too. So these Jewish people from Thessalonica go to Berea and they kick them out there too. And and so the verse right before chapter 16, it says in verse 15, the man who escorted Paul, Paul actually got an escort from Berea to Athens. He got an escort. Not too bad, not too shabby. He gets gets an escort to Athens and he's having to wait for Silas and Timothy. Timothy. So while he is waiting, what does he do? He gets busy. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't just figure, hey, I'm just going to throw my feet up and take some strawberry lemonade right now and, and just sip this and enjoy. Life is good. Call it good. By the way, totally not opposed to drinking strawberry lemonade and kicking your feet up. I, I like to do that every now and then for sure. I think it's a good thing to do. All right? But, but Paul, he, he says, he, he doesn't just sit there. He doesn't sit idle. He's waiting. He could have been, hey, I'm going to be a tourist and just take in this town. By the way, he does do some tourism, but he doesn't just take this vacation from his faith ever. He doesn't do that. Let's read on. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Stop there. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Petronius, 
A Roman writer said that it was easier to meet a god or a goddess on the streets of Athens than it was to meet a man. You get what he's saying? He's saying there's more gods and more goddesses in this city than there are people. You know what? He was right. There were more gods and goddesses, more shrines in this city than there were people. For every person, there was three gods or goddesses or shrines or idols. They were all over the place. And Paul, as he is walking through this place, as he is walking through Athens, Greece, he is coming upon idol after idol after idol. And it got to the point where it was enough for him. And he became greatly distressed in his spirit. Greatly distressed. I want you to think about this with me. Does your heart ache for the lostness of people in our culture? If you're like me, and if you're honest, you will have to say like I have to say myself. The message of tolerance has led me to not always care as I should. Tolerance. I want you to think about it with me for just a moment. I appreciate tolerance. It's why I can live in a society as a believer and be given freedom. As a youth pastor, I went on two campuses every week to lead Bible study. One in the science wing at the high school and one in the math wing at the middle school. Every week I was allowed, as a pastor, they knew exactly who I was. They knew exactly what I stood for. They allowed me to do that. Why? Because of tolerance. You see why I appreciate tolerance? See why I have an appreciation? Now, to be fair, if they are going to allow me as an evangelical believer, pastor, to come on campus and do that, they are also going to make room for the Muslims, the Mormons, or the Wiccans, or the you name it, to also come on and have their club if they want to do the same thing. That's tolerance. And you know what? I appreciate that because that is what allows me to do this. But the part I don't like is that in this, I tend to forget in a pursuit of tolerance, which our culture is very big on, I tend to forget that rejecting Jesus is rejecting God and it leads to a life separated from God. So yes, I can be tolerant and allow people to choose. They will choose as they will. People have the choice. But I don't want my heart to forget that people have a need for Jesus. I don't want tolerance to lead me to that. To lead me to forget the need that we really have. That both of us have. That we all have. Let's read on. Verse 17. So he, Paul, reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. By the way, why 
I don't have an answer for this, but I'm going to ask you a question. As I was asking myself, actually even just last night as I was going through this message again, I didn't think about it this week when I was studying, but then last night as I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, why is Paul reasoning with the God-fearing Jews? Or the God-fearing Greeks and the Jews? Why does he go to the synagogue and have to reason with them about being distressed about the idols? Why does he have to go to the God-fearing Greeks and have to reason with them about being distressed about the idols? Is it possible that they have become so tolerant themselves? Is it possible that they are immersed in this culture with many gods, many goddesses, three for every person, that they are just as tolerant as the next door neighbor? And is it possible that Paul is having to actually reason with them because they have given way and they are no longer distressed? They don't care? They are just a product of their culture? I don't have the answer, but I ask the question, and I think it's very possible. So Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews. They should have known better. He reasoned with the God-fearing Greeks. They should have known better, as well as those in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. I love it. Paul. What does he do? He's distressed. So in his distress, what does he do? How does he respond? Once again, Paul doesn't just take a vacation. By the way, I am totally okay with vacation. As you get to know me, you will know that I appreciate my vacation. I like to vacation. We all all need to vacation. But Paul, he's not like, okay, I'm just going to go take an extended vacation His response is he reasons with them. He reasons. God gave him a mind. He used it. Notice it doesn't say that he went to them and he belittled them. He didn't go to do that. It doesn't say he went to them and he threw a temper tantrum. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go to them. He doesn't go whining. He doesn't do that. He goes to them and he reasons with them. I want to reason with you about these gods. Will you hear me out? I want to reason with you about the gods and the goddesses. I want to reason with you about the shrines that you have. I want you to use your mind. I want you to engage your mind. I want you to think with me. Notice, it also doesn't say that he just figured Yeah, it's Athens, Greece. What more do you expect? Athenians will be Athenians. He doesn't say that. No, he's greatly disturbed by what is going on here. And because he was greatly disturbed, it led him to reason. And he brings up Jesus. Let me ask you, do you know people... Who can speak Jesus? Almost naturally. There are fewer and fewer people in our culture who I believe can do this. And I want to see more and more people who can do this. This last 
January when Kelsey and I were at the discipleship conference. One of, one of my friends from the Midwest who I've, who I've known, I have a lot of great, I've got great respect for him. He's about 10 years older than me, pastor. We went out to eat um, to a pizza place. And as we're eating out for pizza, it was us and I think three other pastors and two, and, a, and a, maybe just one other wife. But there was a couple of us there at the table. And as we're, as we're eating, we had our server, who was probably about 45 years of age, male. Um, and, and, and this guy, my, my friend, his name is Bill. People call him Mr. Bill. They, he just... He just casually says, hey, to the server, we're going to pray for our meal. When he brought the pizzas to us, brought us two big pizzas. We're going to pray for this meal right now. Is there anything we can pray for you about? I I was so amazed at just how natural this came. You know, because for me, I'd be kind of like, oh, I hope I say the words right. Do I have enough courage? And, and I'm not saying that that wasn't even going through his mind. It could have been going through his mind. But he just naturally, now he was not there to go take this guy down the Romans road and pray with him right there. He would just, I want to know. It was just planting seeds. And, and I really believe I have seen this man before in culture just find creative ways to plant seeds. I know another pastor who you cannot make him shut up about Jesus. If he's on a plane, he will talk to the person next to him about Jesus. That's who he is. That's how he is. And I appreciate it because I really believe that he does it in a very natural way. The very first time I met him, it was at a pastor's conference. And he was there not with the pastors, but he was with someone else who was not a pastor at the hotel. In the courtyard, around tables, just sitting, striking up conversation. And I began to listen. And the conversation went spiritual. We live in a culture who is our culture. Studies have been done. We, we do not like to be called religious anymore. Our American culture does not like religious. That, that, is, that is not only from the believers who don't like to be called religious, it's also from the unbelievers. But our culture likes spirituality. Our culture is drawn to spiritual things. And so because this is true of our culture, we can dialogue our culture on matters of spirituality. And it doesn't hurt to ask people questions. Sometimes as believers, there's a lot of pressure here, isn't there? I feel like I have to have all the answers. I feel like I have to take them down the Romans road. Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23. I have to have these memorized. I got to take them down there. That's great if that's how it works for you. But if that just kind of makes you go into panic mode... You can be relational. And we can naturally, hopefully naturally, talk and ask questions. What do you believe? You willing to talk about you, what you believe? I'm willing to listen. I can be a good listener. And I bet I'm in good company. 
I think we all can be good listeners. If we have a tendency of thinking about bringing up Jesus to our culture, and we say, my culture is beyond that, would you think again? Athens, Greece. Apostle Paul. He did it. Now, I know he's Apostle Paul. But I'm just saying this, that Paul set an excellent example to a culture who was bent on opposing the truth of the gospel and probably wanted nothing to do with that. He was willing to engage a culture, engage the culture, and reason with them. Let's read on. Verse 18, it says this, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. I like that. I like it that they were willing to dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching. Now we know what he's preaching. Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's what Jesus is preaching. That's what, that's what Paul is preaching. He is, he is engaging his culture. He is, he, is, he is bothered by these idols. And so he is willing to reason with them. And as he is reasoning with them, what is he engaging their minds in? He is engaging them in Jesus. And he is engaging them in the resurrection. I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about the resurrection. That's what he is engaging this culture in. Well, who are these people? Epicurean and these Stoic philosophers. Epicureans. They believed in many gods. But those gods have nothing to do with humanity. So they believed in multiple gods. They were very polytheistic. Okay, The belief in many gods. But they believe that, yes, there's thousands of gods, but those gods have nothing to do with humanity. They don't care about me. They don't care about me at all. They were, they were kind of almost, you could almost call it polydeistic. Deism is a belief that there is a God, but God made everything and then took a vacation. He just bowed out. Hey, I hope those people can get things figured out. I'll make them and then just take off. I'm not involved. That's, that's a deistic approach. This is belief in many gods. But God here again, for their, their belief, was God is uninvolved. He doesn't care. Kind of a polydeistic approach. They also... They believe that everything happens by chance. And death is the end. When you die, that's it. Lights go out, nothing more. So you are exactly what you were before you were born. There's just nothing. That's what they believed. The end is it. Nothing more. And everything happens by chance. So if, if this is your belief, then this third point here makes a lot of sense. Well, then you pursue pleasure above all else. So for the Epicureans, life is all about pleasure. How can I feel good? What can I do to make myself feel better? 
Because if the end is it, and there's nothing more, then man, I, I want to live it up. I will live it up today. Because when I die, that's it. That's the Epicureans. That's one of the groups that Paul was reasoning with. The other group, it's the Stoics. They believed everything is God. So they believed everything is God. Their view was pantheistic. So they believe that the trees are God. They believe those flowers, those beautiful tulips that are coming up. That's God. They, they believe that you and I are God. Everything is God. That's their view. The Stoics, they believed that they controlled their own destiny. They were in control. So for the Epicureans, they believe everything kind of happens by chance. For the Stoics, they believe we control. We are in control of everything. I have control. I will control. So if this is how they, if they are in control, then their belief, they believe that self-mastery over pain and pleasure is the greatest virtue of life. I will have control over pain. I will have control over pleasure. That's why we call them Stoics. They were very Stoic. Self-mastery over pain, over pleasure, is the greatest virtue. This, these are the two groups that Paul is confronting. These are the two groups that Paul is reasoning with. These two groups are highly intellectual. But you can be highly intellectual and highly wrong. Can't you? You can. And they were highly intellectual and they were highly wrong. As believers, I am not extremely smart. I'm middle. I'm average. You could find thousands of people who are far smarter than me and who, who do not hold to the same truth that I claim. So I don't want to get in a huge intellectual debate necessarily. I really believe, I was talking with Jeff a week ago, we could, we could argue with our minds as much as we want. It takes the Spirit of God to convict of truth. And that's what God does. The Spirit of God can convict. At the same time, my goal as a believer is never to bash those who do not agree with me. Because I'm just saying... They're extremely intellectual. But again, you can be highly intellectual and highly wrong. And Paul recognized that. Well, how do these groups, how these two groups respond to Paul? How they respond? Well, we're told that they called him, some of them called him a babbler. He's just babbling. He's babbling on and on. It really kind of means he's a seed picker. 
He's, he's just a bird. You're just a bird just pecking for seed. Peck, 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 peck. All you're doing is pecking. You're just looking for ideas that are not your own and you are just pecking and you are taking ideas that are not your own and you are making them sound like they are your own. And I wonder if Paul, we don't have it said here, but I wonder if he would have said, yep, guilty as charged. That's me. These are not my own ideas. These come from the Lord Jesus Christ. End of discussion. We don't know what he said. But, but that's, that could have that could have happened like that. These were not his ideas. These came from the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're saying, these are not your ideas. Others, they said, hey, it really seems like you are advocating for foreign gods. Now think with me for a moment. Hello? Athens, Greece? <laughs> Why does this matter? Just add a few more. Just add, just add another one. Why does it matter? It matters because if Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, that matters. Why is our culture today resistant to Christianity? Because Christianity... Our culture is okay with Christianity as long as we are just one of many ways. If we are one of many ways, we're okay. We'll be okay. But if you start to bring up Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, I've got a problem with you. And that's exactly where Athens, Greece was. Hey, we like many gods. We're okay with that. We'll find out. They even had a god that was... For the unknown God, just in case we're missing one. All right? Just want to make sure we're, we're covering our bases here. So why are they bothered when Paul is talking about Jesus raised from the dead? They're bothered because that flies in the face of their culture. That flies in the face of what they believed. Many gods versus one God. Problem. Conflict. This doesn't work. It can't be both. It cannot be both. We're going to stop here. And we're going to pick this up next week. And we're going to see what Paul continues to let us in on. Really through the writing of Luke. But I want you to think with me this morning really about two things here. Are you afraid of culture? Are you afraid of culture? Don't be. Don't be afraid of culture. Paul was not afraid of culture. I love it that Paul was willing to engage culture. Paul was willing to know culture. Paul was willing to, quote, get dirty. Get in the middle of culture. Understand culture. Understand their minds. And then reason with them. 
He did that. Paul, he never, from what we've gathered, he never planted a church in Athens, Greece. He never planted a a, a church. Though we have record of believers after Paul left. There were those who responded to the truth of his message. Which makes me wonder, where did they go to church? I don't know what happened. I don't have, I have not found record of what happened. I wonder what did they do? Because now you've got these new believers. But I want you to think about this. Paul, he planted churches in places like Corinth. Which, you know what? Athens, Greece, it was bad. Corinth was beyond. It was beyond. Paul planted a church there. He was not opposed to Corinth. He was not afraid of Corinth. He planted a church at Ephesus. Again, this was, these were the centers of what we would say these were evil centers. It was completely opposed to the truth of Jesus as the only way, the truth, and the life. Philippi, Colossae, Thessalonica, all the places that Paul went and planted churches. They were in places that were completely opposed to the truth of Jesus. Paul was not afraid of culture. You and I, we do not need to be afraid of culture. And the second thing I want you to think about this morning with me, Paul did not change the truth of Jesus for the sake of culture. He would not change it. He would not compromise. We are called to never compromise the truth of the gospel. Culture is hard for us. Why is it hard? Because I think if we're honest, we'd say, I know too many people who have claimed to have a relationship with Christ who gave in because of the demands of culture or the pull of society. And that might make us afraid of it. And then we might have a tendency of trying to live in isolation. If that's the case, I'm just going to back away and I don't want to have anything to do with culture because I'm afraid that it might rub off on me. We can be bold. You and I can be bolder than that. We don't need to be afraid of culture. We have the truth. But also in our, in our desire to rub shoulders with culture, know this book well. Know this book well. But also know why you know this book well. Don't just know about this book, but understand why this is the truth. So that we can engage culture. Now, if you're hungry for more, that's part of the reason why we're here. That's part of the reason why the church exists. I think as a church, we have to be careful. Sometimes as a church, we can come down a little bit hard on believers and say, how come believers don't know better? I take responsibility for that because it is the role of the church 
to equip the believers. It is the role of the church. It is the role of the leaders of the church. It is my role as your pastor to equip you to know how you can engage the culture. So if you feel a little bit ill-equipped, please don't panic. It's okay. You're probably in good company. By the way, there's a lot of times where I feel ill-equipped. And I'm a pastor. But that's why we're together. Because God is going to do a work here together. Remember the very first Sunday of January? You probably don't. And that's okay. I said, my desire... For 2018, as we declare and demonstrate the truth of who Jesus is to build up his church, is that we would equip. Let's get equipped. Let's get equipped. We have a culture who desperately needs the truth of Jesus. And if I'm afraid of them, they will never know the truth. And if I'm afraid of them, then maybe to some degree the enemy is being successful and making me afraid of them. Paul, he was willing to engage his culture. Paul, he never changed the truth of his message. In the midst of a culture that had many gods, three for every person, he proclaimed Christ and Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. And he allowed the chips to fall as they may and for people to respond as they may. And we'll find that they did. Some rejected it, some wanted to hear him again, and some believed. And isn't that the truth of how things work today? But that's not mine to worry about. Mine is to present the truth and yours is to present the truth in the midst of our culture. Lord God, thank you. We live in a culture And I know as believers, uh, we are concerned about our culture. We are concerned about our society because um, we see our society morally degrading. It feels like day by day. And that's hard for us. But Lord, I pray that our hearts would break for our society Break for people of our society. Break for a neighbor who maybe lives completely differently than we do. Break for our neighborhoods. Break for coworkers. Break for family members. Lord, in the midst of rubbing cultures and even in reasoning, creatively finding ways to reason with those who hold to something very different. Father, may we never compromise the truth of who Jesus is. We love you. We give you praise for the work that you are doing in our lives. We give you permission, not that you need it, but we give you permission to continue to work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.